Okay. I hit the Welcome red to- button. You son of a bitch. You cut me off immediately as soon as I started. <laughs> Put this in. <laughs> Let people know the dysfunction behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> you think we're organized, but really it's Nobody just a- thinks we're organized. <laughs> And the dominoes will fall like a house of cards. Checkmate. Checkmate. <laughs> Welcome to VCR, Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> what a great quote to start on. Yeah, nailed the landing there. We, <laughs> we, scuffed, we scuffed the opener, but we nailed the landing. Sure did. That's how we do things. <laughs> We're covering Groundhog Day, which is the perfect time of year to cover Groundhog Day, seeing as we're coming up on Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Day. Yeah, look at that. It's almost like one of us is on top of things. <laughs> it's one, like one of us is a professional planner for a living. <laughs> and the other one is a professional writer, which involves no planning whatsoever. <laughs> That's half True. sarcasm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? To speak about timing, the actual deep dive episode of this is coming out on Groundhog Day Eve, a eve to celebrate of all eves, as I'm told. Cool. But this is the primer episode of Groundhog Day, the film from 1993 starring Bill Murray and the one Murricane, of his, yeah. The Murricane in one of his most Murricane roles ever. Mm-hmm. And it's one of your favorite movies, which is cool. It is really cool. I, I rewatched it yesterday in preparation for this. It, yeah, I had a really good time. Uh, so did I. So did I. Again, this is the primer episode. We're talking as spoiler-free as possible, recommending this to who should watch this movie in 2024 and where to check it out and all that sort of fun stuff. So you want to take it away with the plot summary? So Bill Murray plays Phil Connors, a uh, local weatherman with... Let's say some character defects. <laughs> and by <laughs> some character defects, I mean all of them. Like he's arrogant, he's smarmy, he's snide, he thinks he's better than everyone else. And yeah. he and two cohorts um, go to the small town of... Blake, help me out here. Punxsutawney. Okay, yeah, that, what Blake just said. <laughs> to cover Groundhog Day, a local festival where they it yeah, it's Groundhog Day. They have a groundhog <laughs> and he looks at his shadow and everything and it's this this whole small town rallies around this festival every year and everybody but Bill Murray has a really, really, really good time. Bill Murray has a very unremarkable day where he's determined to be miserable goes to sleep, and he wakes up the next day only to find that it is once again February 2nd, and he's reliving Groundhog Day all over again. After some discomfort, he goes back to sleep only to wake up and find that once again it is February 2nd, and he's reliving Groundhog Day all over again. And thus, we enter the central conflict of this movie, Bill Murray stuck in a February 2nd time loop, reliving the same day over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and I've got two comments to that. Um, the first being that this is like the quintessential time loop movie. If you ever hear anybody reference a time loop, I can guarantee the first thing that comes to their mind and probably comes to your mind as well is the movie Groundhog Day. Like, is the this movie is, Groundhog Day, yeah. Yeah, like because of this movie, we have so much other like time loop type of uh stories in 
in everything really like movies tv you find it in video games now like it's kind of it's weird that this movie came out like over 30 31 years ago and it feels like it's become this weird subgenre that's only really picked up steam recently yeah i'm sure there was like copycats that came after this one um and i actually had a few kind of noted like uh, there's a lot of comparisons to other films like uh, i think the most famous one that i'd like to revisit at some point is the adam sandler mid-2000s movie click kind of it doesn't quite share the same idea of a time yeah it's uh, it's, it harkens back to that idea right i guess so yeah of playing with time as as a comedic concept but with this movie what i'll say is that it's almost a victim of its own success to a certain point because we as the audience by the time you're like you know 10 years old You've probably been introduced to the idea of a time loop and what that means, right? So this movie is a product of or a victim of its own success in the sense that like some of the movie kind of takes a little bit of time to kind of develop the idea of what a time loop is and and how a character is going to experience where, you know, 30 years on, like it's kind of almost feels like a given in a sense. Kinda, yeah. So, so it's it's a great movie, but it's gonna it's gonna I think hit a little interestingly in twenty twenty four for those of you who haven't seen this one before. The other thing I'm gonna say is quickly, uh, what is Groundhog Day for all of our non North American listeners? It's probably the most bold of you to assume we have listeners, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> I read the statistics. But for our non-North American listeners, this is probably the most batshit crazy holiday that we have uh, in North America. You know what? You're kind of right. You're, <laughs> Yeah, I've never really thought about it, but you're right. The quick premise of Groundhog Day is that every February 2nd, uh, the halfway point between winter and uh, the beginning of winter and the beginning of spring, everybody gathers around to watch a often Groundhog, but there are some alternatives that I've heard around North America, come out of his home or is forcibly removed from his home and a bunch of onlookers determine whether or not he sees a shadow and goes back into his home or stays out. And depending on what the Groundhog does in this situation is the deciding factor as to whether we have six more weeks of winter or not. You know what? When you say it out loud like that, we all sound kind of crazy, don't we? <laughs> this almost yes, seems do. like a pagan holiday that we've just kept around for all these years. It does have some really cool roots, but I don't know that this is the time and place for me to get into all that stuff. I did research all of it, so maybe I'll talk about it in the deep dive episode. But okay, I think cool. that's here nor there. I just wanted to give a brief like, here's the lunacy of of this holiday movie. <laughs> yeah. I think you did a really good summary. Let's talk characters and people you may know. Starting with Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors. You Bill described Murray. <laughs> the Murricane, as you put it. Yeah. What to say about a guy named Bill Murray? I mean, <laughs> this is kind of the quintessential Bill Murray performance. Well, and it's had a really interesting point in his career too, right? Because this is like the pivotal role of, of Bill Murray. Anything before this movie, you get Bill Murray as a comedian then you get this movie where it shows, you know, like a pretty a pretty wide range of what Bill Murray can do as an actor. Like there's obviously the comedic element to this and like his sarcasm is 
you know, almost bar none. Like there, I would say there are very few comedians who can do the sarcasm with his eyes, even alone. That you know, I remember. Um, I remember watching Lost in Translation a couple of years ago for the first time, and I remember thinking, like, this man just drips disdain for everyone around him. <laughs> the way he communicates contempt for every person around him is truly breathtaking. Yeah, and you see a lot of that in the early parts of this movie. Yeah, and it's not something that we have a good actor stand-in for in our, like, modern era right now, the last 10, 15 years, right? Like, I wouldn't say there's a comedian that quite is like Bill Murray. The best comparison previously would have been Chevy Chase, but they're of the same era, so... Yeah. But, like, like you were kind of alluding to with Lost in Translation, the reason why Bill Murray got a role like that is because of this movie and in all of the Wes Anderson films that come after that, like... This is the movie that people kind of stood back and realized, huh, like Bill Murray can be taken seriously as well. And he he can really act. And like, especially in the later parts of this movie, he's extremely believable. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really important because, you know, this is a film that takes a very surreal concept and, you know, we have to as an audience and even as like some of the characters who he's trying to explain this to, we have to believe him in a sense, right? And Kinda, we don't want to yeah. be pulled out of the movie for that reason. Rewatching this movie, um, when he first discovers that he's living the same day over and over and over again, his reaction is very believable. You know, yeah. <laughs> like how at first he thinks maybe he's just having deja vu or maybe he's had some kind of head injury before right. he finally settles into, oh, crap, I'm. This is a problem. <laughs> oh, crap, I'm in a movie. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's very believable. Yeah, the honestly the closest comparison I was trying to think about like modern audience, how could I where could I compare this role or this character to? And the best I could come up with was like Jeff Winger from Community. That's a great comparison actually. Yeah. Fun fact, um spoiler alert for Community, but um Dan Harmon apparently wanted Bill Murray to play Jeff's dad in season 3. Oh no way. <laughs> yeah, and I guess he kept Dan Harmon kept delaying revealing Jeff's dad cuz he wanted it to be Bill Murray. <laughs> Well, and I believe that, right? Because there's like that disdain for everyone around you. But there's also, this is the other kind of complexity to this character is that Bill Murray is such a charismatic guy that even through all this like disdain and self-loathing even, like he's still somebody that you want to be in his sphere, right? Yeah, like there's something weirdly likable about him even in the early parts of this movie. It's yeah. funny, I'm going to spoil something for our next week's episode, but um, I had dinner with you and your wife last night, as I sometimes do, and Jess said that she hated, or she didn't really like the first hour of this movie because Bill Murray is such a dick. And I remember just being like, yeah, but he's still funny when he's being a dick. And yeah. he's somehow still likable when he's being a dick. Yeah, and like that's that's a really fine line to walk that really only Bill Murray and maybe Chevy Chase could do. Maybe David Spade too, actually. David Spade's got a little bit of, I would say, different to him. Like, I, like I wouldn't say I, I like David Spade as much. Um, if I'm thinking like Tommy Boy or something like that, like David Spade almost needs somebody to play off of. Whereas That's Bill a good Murray point. Yeah. is 
just playing off of himself and and he's playing off of some of the other characters and some of the other ridiculous characters in this movie but there aren't even that many other ridiculous characters in this movie right i think what's what kind of works about this movie is that especially in the early parts like yes bill murray's a dick but like everyone in this small town is so like nauseatingly friendly that like you (laughs) kind of get it you're like ugh. But then, like, as the movie goes on, you kind of start to warm up to the town. I can't, still can't pronounce it. And uh, Punxsutawney. Yeah. Punxsutawney yeah, Phil. What Blake said. So, <laughs> anyways. I, I'm going to segue here in a sec, but I the last kind of thought I had about Bill Murray is I, I almost wonder how famous he is to, like, Gen Z and, you know, anybody under the age of, like, 25. Because for you and I, like, you know, we grew up in the 90s. Bill Murray was still relatively important as a comedian then and you know our parents grew up spent their like formative years watching bill murray content like so so there's a lot of bill murray passed down us and i i kind of wonder almost like how much people have gotten to experience bill murray like even just five years younger than us yeah that's a good point i mean he was recently in ant-man and the wasp three which I'm, I'm sure, which I'm sure at least some people saw. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us did, apparently. No. <laughs> I'm throwing shade at Marvel because it's fun. <laughs> you said how like charming all of the actual townsfolk are, and I actually want to talk about Bill Murray's kind of counterpart in the film, Rita. Oh the yeah, TV producer. She's like so incredibly disarming, right? Yeah. She she's really bill murray's only connection outside of the the town this time loop town right that he can confide in in this and and even then right like they have a barely even a working relationship at this point let's say a caustic relationship yeah yeah and and i do want to talk about rita a little bit here because i gotta say like andy mcdowell is the perfect actor for this role like she is she has kind of this nice like sweet south carolina accent she's just like absolutely not she's stunning so, she's so genuine and sincere yeah and but she's also like there's just like this adorableness about her like and, and oh yeah disarmingness about her like and again a lot of it is that that really sweet accent that she has but you know like like every time she's in a scene with Bill Murray, like she has this calming presence around about her that even like Bill Murray's character kind of, you know, takes it down a step usually with. I think it's, I really like their dynamic, how like she's very sweet and very nice, but she also doesn't really take his shit. Yeah. But she also doesn't stoop to his level. Right. Like she'll occasionally throw jabs at him, but the, it's not like, it's more like she's just kind of exasperated by him. Well, and, and she, to a degree, knows how to handle him and handle people like him. And you know what? That's probably like a reference to the struggle of what a producer is like, right? Of trying Especially to handle a producer working with Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But she plays it really well. And like, you know, there's even in the early part of the movie where they get to Punxsutawney and they stop at the hotel and he's like, I can't believe you set me up here. Like this is the most grimy, disgusting bug ridden place you could actually put me in. And she was like, Oh, this is where I'm staying. Like I've actually, I set you up on this little quaint uh, bed and breakfast. Right. Like, right. And, and even like that, like she, she just knows how to handle somebody like him. 
Yeah, she's just kind of like, here's your bed and breakfast, asshole. Yeah. Like, here you go. This will shut you up for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy McDowell, the rom-com queen of the 90s, like I would put her up there with like Mag Ryan of the 90s. She has most recently been in a couple of TV shows and movies. Actually, she starred uh, or co-starred in the, the TV miniseries Made, which is on Netflix. And that actually stars her daughter, Margaret Qualley, um, who is probably somebody you actually, for a modern audience, actually know probably a little bit more. And is a, an important actor to to the last 10 years of my movie-going experience as well, because she's, you know, one of Margaret Qualley being uh one of the main actors in the movie um once upon a time in hollywood she was in death stranding a very very interesting video game but yeah andy mcdowell margaret Cawley's mom she also andy mcdowell starred in the 2019 film ready or not which i can't believe i haven't seen that movie yet honestly it's kind of exactly the movie that i would be interested in watching but just for whatever reason haven't checked it out yet it's the one that's like a horror comedy starring samara weaving which is she's probably one of my favorite actresses of the last like five years or so i love i love what she's doing right now with her career so big fan of all of that Mm -hmm. anyway there's maybe one other character actor to kind of round out like the main core group here and that's chris elliott who's playing larry the the cameraman he's a character actor that y- you see his face and you're like oh I- i've seen that guy before oh yeah we've all seen chris elliott <laughs> yeah most recently you've seen him on Shit's creek he played rolling shit so there you go yeah with great names as a side note rolling shit he was also um i think he was amy's brother on everybody loves raymond yeah he's been around he's been around you've seen him before you know his face as soon as you start watching this movie he's definitely um like he's always kind of plays the same character too well not always but he's often kind of plays like the dorky schlub yeah you know? yeah that's a good way of putting it there's a few other like actors that i want to briefly mention before we move on from this brian doyle murphy who is one of the i think he's the mayor of the town he's kind of got that very distinct like chicagoan accent that's yeah. actually bill murray's brother I just was reading that today. I was very surprised. Well, and I knew that Bill Murray has two brothers, and I knew who the other brother was from Mad Men, but I never put two and two together that Brian Doyle Murphy was Bill Murray's brother because the role that you're going to remember him from is Clark's boss in Family Vacation, the one that they kidnap. Oh, yeah. That's where I immediately think of him. Like, he always kind of plays those, like, you know, very brash, like, dickhead characters, right? Which, he, I mean, he's not as intense in this movie because, like you said, everybody's pretty charming in this film uh, from the town. He was also the Flying Dutchman on SpongeBob. That's yeah. where I remember his voice well, from. Very, very distinct voice, right? Yeah. Like, I remember watching this movie. I watched this movie for the first time in 2020. And as soon as I heard his voice, I sat up a little straighter and I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah. And the last actor I want to mention who just does a very, like, brief role in this, but it, it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. Like, I legitimately didn't even know this until I started doing research is Michael Shannon has a very, very brief appearance in this as the wedding groom. And this is actually his first uh, movie appearance as well. Michael Shannon, the, 
General Zod. Yeah. What was that meme you sent me over the summer where it's just Oh, like, my God. Yeah. It was him in the Criterion Channel closet, like, picking out movies. It's, like, the funniest thing I've ever seen. No, and he's <laughs> just like, wow, thanks. I can't wait to go home. <laughs> I saw this hilarious interview with him. They were interviewing him for his role in The Flash, and they were just like, he's just sitting in a chair, like, looking super casual, and he's like, yeah, I got a call from my agent. They said they wanted me to return as General Zod. And I was like, wait, isn't General Zod dead? They're like, no, it's a multiverse, Michael. And he was just like, what the fuck's a multiverse? <laughs> <laughs> I love Michael Shannon. He is like one of the funniest actors ever. <laughs> and he never plays those kind of characters, right? And he's so unassumingly funny too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, just, yeah, I love love Michael Shannon interviews. I could watch those all day. Hmm. But he's kind of got that like that really distinct like face. Like I would almost compare it to, he almost kind of looks like well like got that Willem Dafoe distinctness to him. He's got that jaw and those kind yeah. of jowls, you know. Like, yeah, exactly. He kind of had to grow into his face, I think. Yeah. So look for him as the groom in this film. Uh, the most memorable scene of that is probably when they're in the diner and Bill Murray points him out. You'll see him and you'll be surprised at how young he is. And so think young. about your own mortality. <laughs> I like how you just kind of looked at me like, oh, <laughs> can't believe you tried to slip that in there. Normally, I'm the depressing one. <laughs> <laughs> to round it all off, this is directed by Harold Ramis, one of the funniest human beings to ever live. The uh, guy from Ghostbusters um, is probably most notably where you know him as. What's his character name in Ghostbusters? Oh, like Egon or something. Egon, yes, yeah. Egon. I collect uh, mold or something like that. <laughs> He's in this movie too in a very small role. Yeah, he just makes like a brief cameo. Very, very, very funny filmmaker. What other stuff was he did, did he do? Oh, he did Stripes, which I haven't seen yet, but I'd really like to at some Stripes point. Stripes we'll is that good. On the I haven't seen Stripes in a long time, but I remember really liking it. Yeah, and he directed Caddyshack as well, which is one of the most famous comedies of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Really cool guy. Yeah. Oh, so funny. Um, A longtime friend of Bill Murray right up until this movie happened, and then no longer a friend of Bill Murray, which we'll get into in the Deep Dive episode. I feel like Bill Murray had a lot of former friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, th- that list is quite long. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of reading about Bill Murray today, and I'm just like... Okay. Like, I don't know if you're <laughs> acting all the time when you're being so disdainful. Well, and like, I'm reading the the Sidney Lumet book right now, and he actually kind of talks a lot about like how, how much actors bring of themselves into their roles, right? And like, how how daunting that can be. And for somebody like Bill Murray, it's probably quite natural in a film like this. Yeah, I'm going to jump ahead a bit and spoil something for next week. I did a little reading myself, and I guess... um. They filmed this movie in reverse. Like, they they filmed the later scenes first because Harold Ramis knew Bill Murray is only going to get more irritable as the shoot goes on. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's amazing. That's when you know, that's when you're a real talent, when you know how to rein Bill Murray in. Well, and, you know, when we start talking about the deep dive later, too, like, I think this is probably the most interesting deep dive film behind the scenes that we will have talked about on this podcast. Oh, there's so much to say about the production of this movie. Yeah, exactly, right? And, like, I think that that's actually a really smart decision to film it almost in reverse because I think 
with anybody except for somebody like Harold Ramis, who's worked with Bill Murray before and knows him on a very personal level, I think that this movie could have gone off the rails pretty quickly and and <laughs> would have been hard to pull this back into any sort of This is another movie scenery. where it's like, there's one sequence in particular in this movie where I was just like, I can't believe this got made. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe a major studio in 1993 was like, yeah, sure, <laughs> like, go for yeah. it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? Is like it takes sometimes it takes like this kind of star power to make a movie like this. Yeah, it's almost kind of like I remember when we did Titanic, and I felt and I said like we're probably living in the only timeline where this movie is good. I feel like we're living in the only timeline where Groundhog Day exists and is good. <laughs> yeah, where it was ever finished. Yeah, really. So, who is this movie for in 2024, and does it hold up to a modern watch? So, I you already alluded to actually Jess's opinion. I actually kind of agree with her on this. The first 30, 40 minutes of this movie are okay. And a lot of that is, again, what I was talking about earlier. I think this movie is a victim of its own success. As an audience in 2024, you get a time loop. You know what a time loop is. There's a lot of buildup into Bill Murray's character, but what I'll say about this on the flip side, though, is that I think this the last hour to hour 10 of this movie is one of the greatest comedies ever made. I think that this is one of the only comedies in absolute existence where the film actually gets funnier and builds towards a really, really rewarding conclusion. And that conclusion is shockingly rewarding, you know? Yeah. I my girlfriend complains that I always complain that every movie I see is too long and could be cut down. This has a very long conclusion and it's so unbearably satisfying. Yes. You know what I mean? You feel so good watching it. Well, and that's probably the reason why the movie takes its time to develop Phil as such an asshole, right? Because it makes it all the more rewarding, right? As an audience. And so uh, the reason why I'm kind of saying that is because I think that as a modern audience, if you're checking this out for the first time, you need to evaluate this movie in its entirety. Like uh, this is a movie where I could very easily see somebody like Kelvin, for example, starting this movie, getting 10, 15 minutes in and being like, ah, I don't know if this movie holds up to a modern watch. Mm. And and I really think that this is a movie that that you have to just accept the what the movie is building towards and and just let yourself be along for the ride. And to to your point, which you were making earlier there, this is an hour 40 movie. Like this is the perfect runtime. Oh yeah, no. And you know what? I'm going to be a contrarian. I normally am always the guy who wants things to move quicker. I actually don't find the opening boring. I wouldn't say it's boring. I just don't know if it quite holds up to a modern watch because of the fact that as an audience, I... I understand going into this what a time loop is. I don't okay. need to like I don't need to fully like live this day out and see every minute detail and then you know tweak all of the little details there like watch Bill Murray try to figure out what the hell is going on for 15 20 minutes kind of thing. Like, you know, I'm I'm ready to get into the meat of the film and like how is this character going to respond to the situation? Mm, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. And that's that's what I mean. As a whole, I think this film holds up incredibly well. I think that this is like a must-watch film, in my opinion. I agree. It's definitely in my top 10. Yeah. For me, it's probably top 
40? I don't know. I, like, I've, I've watched a lot of goddamn movies. You definitely... I've been to <laughs> film school, and you've seen more movies than me. Yeah. So, and the, But that's still saying something, right? To, for a film to be in my top 40 is, is pretty impressive. Like, this is probably... Like, this is the best Bill Murray movie ever made, I think. You know, you can have personal preferences. Like, Ghostbusters is a very important film series of my childhood. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is just a, a really mature comedy. I might like his performance in Lost in Translation a little bit more, but I'd have to rewatch it. And that's fair. But a movie like that doesn't get made without a movie like this, right? So Yeah, fair enough. If you like the idea of a time loop movie, and I think the most recent film that I'm going to compare this to, which is an absolutely phenomenal movie from 2020, which I think some people have seen and a lot of people missed because of the pandemic, was the movie Palm Springs, which starred Andy Samberg and Kristen Milotti. I think that that movie clearly references and and pays tribute to this film, but like this is the OG, right? Yeah, no, I mean you can't really have a movie like that without a movie like this. Um, geez, yeah, I mean there's also Edge of Tomorrow. There was the yep. god awful Happy Death Day, which came out in 2017. <laughs> I actually saw I haven't it watched mo- that. I saw it on my 25th birthday, and I regretted every decision that brought me to that point. <laughs> Although, you know what? I will say, as bad as that movie was, there is a mo- there is a moment like at the end of the movie where this one character looks at another character and is like, this is kind of like Groundhog Day. And the other character is like, what's Groundhog Day? And he's like, you've never seen Groundhog Day? <laughs> like, so like that was kind of fun. <laughs> Nice. I well, and here's the thing though is like the way that this movie explores it, just the the idea of the time loop, it almost explores it so fully that it makes it difficult to copycat, right? And so I think that the movies that do this best are the ones that really play with the idea of this film. Like, for example, The Edge of Tomorrow is an action film and it uses the time loop to progress the character, but it's also an action, a sci-fi action film. And then Palm Springs plays with the idea of two characters trapped in a time loop mm-hmm. and and how two characters could live in, in this world together, right? I think that this movie has done and said everything that a a really good time loop movie could ever do. But I think that the two movies that I'm mentioning there, or even the one that you mentioned, like Palm Springs and Edge of Tomorrow, are also very, very good movies in their own right. Yeah, exactly. And they all kind of take the premise and run with it a bit. Or kind of put some kind of a unique spin on it. Yeah. I assume. I haven't seen Palm Springs yet. (laughs) Oh, so good. It's so good. It's Mm. one of my favorite comedies of the last five years. Okay, I will have to check it out then. Yeah. On that note, so it's time to talk one scene to sell the movie. So this is kind of our newer segment here. I'll just briefly explain it. Like instead of watching a movie trailer 30, 40 years old that advertises towards an audience of that nature to sell butts and seats essentially at a movie theater, we're highlighting a movie on the YouTube channel Movie Clips. Like the a scene of this movie that really kind of takes the spirit of the film that you should go check out to really decide if this is a a movie or, for you or not. Okay. If, if, if you or I haven't already sold you or not sold you on this film. Because we are nothing if not persuasive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Well. <laughs> what's, your, what's your one scene to sell the movie? 
I believe the title on YouTube is What Rita Wants. Mm. And it's mm-hmm. where Phil, who has now by this point kind of embraced the time loop and he's using it for his own personal gain. He's trying to get information on Rita so he can get into her pants. Right. Yes. And this, I think this is probably the best scene to sell it because it really shows you who Phil is and who Rita is. And really their dynamic is kind of at the heart of the movie, even more so than the time loop itself. I would agree with you. I'm actually, I have a very similar um, scene that I chose, but it's it's slightly different um and what i'll say about this as well is like i said you know the thir- first 30 minutes of this movie aren't what sells the movie so there's a balance here between what scene to pick that's not too late in the movie to spoil major you know key moments of the film but also that really sells the essence of the film and i think that that scene's a probably my runner up scene okay the scene that i would sell that this movie with is phil's a god <laughs> which is the scene yeah. the scene where Phil basically has the discussion with Rita in the diner. You know, he's explaining to her the time loop and he's like, so I think I'm a god at this point. And she's like, you're not god. And he's like, well, I'm not the god. <laughs> there's, a <laughs> great line, there's a great line in that scene where he's like, maybe god is just the guy who's been around so long that he knows everything. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And so this... It's one of the funnier scenes of the movie. I, I really love the dynamic between him and Rita, him trying to explain all of this. It again brings the humor of Bill Murray as an actor, but it also kind of brings into like the movie kind of the more like horrific elements of the film. Like it actually kind of brings the realism of like what a person trapped in this scenario would experience over days, months, years being trapped in the same day. It also, I think, brings into essence like some of the other element of this film, which is the deep philosophical element of this film. And there's a lot to talk about there next week, but this is a very interesting... This is why, I mean, I can't believe this movie got made because it's there's a lot to unpack about it. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I think the fact that that scene can, in two minutes, capture the humor and horror of the situation... Uh, the Phil reader relationship and the philosophical bigger picture of, of the meaning of this film is actually like kind of incredible, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so that's my scene when to watch there. I mean, there's one holiday that you're going to watch this on, right? It's groundhog day. And it's coming up. <laughs> although we're probably going to miss it. <laughs> no, wait, this episode will come out just the, this episode is coming out. A week before Groundhog Day, the deep dive is coming out Groundhog Day's Eve, like I said. Oh, that's right. See, this is why I timed this perfectly, Michael. This is why you're the brains of the operation, and I'm just, I'm the heart. <laughs> <laughs> the beating heart. The beating heart of filmography. Ah! <laughs> anyway, Podcast film, or film Woo. and podcast. But yeah, I think that you could probably watch this movie anytime there, even though like the movie is titled Groundhog Day. You know just what? Because I... Of, like, I watched this movie for the first time with my parents one night in 2020. This was a year before my dad died, and I have very fond memories of watching it with my parents. Yeah, like this is a movie that you could certainly watch with your parents or with people that you care about, right? Yeah, because this is ultimately a feel-good movie. 
I mean, it takes a while to get there, but <laughs> but we get there. <laughs> but we get there. We get there. Like yeah. yeah, the as as we get to the end, like I I did get a little emotional as as we got to the conclusion. I did too, and I you know I I love morbid shit. I love depressing endings, but I really this movie really got to me. Yeah, especially on this watch as well. I think that's just me getting older, but we're becoming <laughs> softer in our old age. I think that this movie is best at this time of year in the winter. Like, you know, like January is supposed to be the most depressing time of the year. Like, you know, people are reflecting on their previous year. My therapist actually told me that February is the most depressing time of year. So this is good timing. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think, I think that this is like the best time of year to watch this. Like, you know, the movie takes place during a blizzard as well. So Mm -hmm. it's all that kind of weather. Like, you know, you're, you're, probably not watching a whole lot of snowy movies in August necessarily. I guess not. No, but otherwise, yeah, this is a movie that you could definitely put on as your blockbuster on a Saturday night. You could watch it in the middle of the week. Like I I could watch this movie anytime. It's just my preference is this time of year. Probably. Yeah, I agree. The winter. I saw it in December, 2020. So yeah, same diff. Uh, where to watch right now? So it is streaming, but it, it's it's streaming on CTV with ads. <laughs> did you rent this one? Yeah, I did. So I did watch it on CTV with ads because I like to try the different uh, streaming services for the podcast and kind of write back to all of you uh, or report back to all of you about what I've what I've experienced. And what I'll say is that like. In a way, it kind of felt, it kind of was a little nostalgic because CTV is probably where I would have watched this growing up as a kid, like uh, when it came on syndication. Like, yeah, on TV. hey, guess what, kids? We used to watch movies on the tele. When they told us we could watch them. Right, with ad breaks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of felt a little nostalgic in a sense. But what I'll say about it on the flip side, though, is I would say the CTV experience was pretty mediocre at best honestly like i downloaded the app on my smart tv to try to get the full experience of it and i found it had to render a few times during the movie it also like there was some really bad timing with the advertisements like there was this one scene that was like really like heavy emotional and then it immediately cut to this like silly weird ad and i was like that just completely ruined that for me yeah jesus christ yeah, I don't know. In in 2024, I think most of us are kind of done with advertising and advertisements in our film. And uh, I, I don't know that I could recommend checking this one out on CTV on, unless you didn't want to spend any money. Guys, just spend the $4 and watch it. <laughs> it's worth it's worth the $4. Google movies or something. It'll be fine. Yeah, you can also check it out on Crave Stars and the Stars subscription if you have either of those. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it for the Primer episode. Certainly is. Do you have anything else you want to say before we wrap her up for the week? I really should say something, shouldn't I? Um, (laughs) I feel like there was an expectation there a little bit, yeah. yeah. I guess, you know what? This is genuinely a feel-good, heartwarming movie, and you should watch it. Yeah. Well, I like what you said. Watch this movie with someone you love. Yeah. I, I really genuinely hope you enjoy it. I am really looking forward to the deep dive of this film because like I said, this is one of the, probably one of the most analyzed films that we've ever done on this movie podcast, which almost seems silly for an hour and a half. Bill Murray movie. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, but 
it, it's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of ideas and it's quite an experience to think about it. And it's something that you are going to think about. Like you, I wrapped this movie up and, and have been thinking about it since. I have been thinking ever since watching this movie, like the first time and the second time I've thought like, what would I do if I had to relive this day over and over and over again? Yeah. Like, and not like tra- a good day. Like yeah, one of the worst days of your day. life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a normal, annoying day. <laughs> Yeah, so I hope that you all join us back for the deep dive episode because I think it's going to be really fun. Do that. Come back. All right. And as always, tell your dad. If he's alive. (laughs) (laughs) hey oh, I need to stop milking that joke. It's just sad at this point. (laughs) Get out of your pants, Michael. Wait, wrong movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hey, this is our first Bill Murray movie, right? This is our first Bill Murray movie. Hey, there we go. Yeah. But anyway, we'll see you next time for the deep dive on Groundhog Day. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. <laughs> hey, are we going to get demonetized for that? <laughs> that is the worst rendition I've ever heard of that film. Or yeah, you're right. Song. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs>